1: And hello again. It's time for another trip down memory lane with another former Royals player on Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. It's Davo, and before we get into our chat with Matt Tupman today, I want to remind you to uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Royals Clubhouse, for all things current and past Royals. We're also on Facebook, Clubhouse Conversation, and also you can subscribe here on iTunes through the site, clubhouseconversation.com. But yet another chat that I am thrilled to bring you this morning with Matt Tupman. A guy who was in KC fairly recently, 2008 and kind of a modern-day Moonlight Graham, although he did get to hit in the major leagues. Matt Tupman, in fact, went one-for-one in his big league career. Got a single in his only at-bat, the only game he played in against the Marlins and Kevin Gregg. That was back in 2008. And what a unique story about how that came to be, by the way. Jose Guillen was involved with him getting in a bat. Miguel Olivo, they had to trick Trey Hillman into getting Matt Tupman his only major league at-bat. We'll talk about all that, but so much more. I mean, Tupman was drafted out of New Hampshire, where he grew up. Ninth round in the 2002 draft by the Royals. And unlike likely uh, road to the major leagues he went through. Catching Zach Grinke in rookie ball with Spokane and uh, catching Amber York's Burgos in Wichita, who I am excited to ask Tupman about. Burgos, of course, has had quite the uh, disappointing and tragic Uh, continuation of his life, we'll say, since those days. We'll talk about his well-publicized feud with Frank White and friendships he had in the minor leagues with Alex Gordon and Mike Avilas and Billy Butler and just great memories Matt Tubman. Still a Royals fan and still a guy who Enjoys talking about the old days and and very excited to hear these stories from Tupman now, who joins us on Clubhouse conversation. First of all, thank you so much for taking a you know a good portion of your time to to take this trip down memory lane. And second of all, what's keeping you busy in 2015? And how are you doing, man?
0: Everything's going well. Um, I'm actually currently in New Jersey uh, coaching a bunch of uh, college, getting kids ready to go to college and going through the um, you know the the process and the recruiting process and you know teaching them you know the right way to play the game and stuff like that
1: so baseball's a big part of your life still in 2015 right
0: it is it is that's pretty much what I am I mean what does a, an uneducated former <laughs> baseball pro do <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah
0: you know your options are pretty limited baseball uh, you know isn't um, kind of doesn't make you smarter so to speak. as a baseball player yeah but it doesn't exactly uh you don't come out of it you know doing equations
1: yeah especially a catcher probably some concussions in there at some point right oh yeah 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 some of that stuff now are you you living then in new hampshire then you know most of the time
0: yes i currently live in concord new hampshire yep full time
1: okay what's it like out there i've been to 42 states never been in new hampshire is it a pretty nice state for those of us in the midwest who have never branched out there
0: Well, you know, our motto is live for your die, you know, just to start that off there. Um, It's pretty rugged, um, you know, being a, you know, I spend most of my time in the Midwest, so the weather is a little different, um, and the people are a little different, you know. um, I I think New Englanders would characterize themselves as a little ornery, if you will. Um, You know, it's a lot different than, you know, the... uh, um, Midwest, where everybody's kind of friendly, walking down the street and you know saying hello. And New England, you know, it's some people don't they don't really make eye contact a whole lot.
1: Uh, uh, well, I mean that's not the worst thing in the world sometimes. Now, how
0: about? No, it's
2: not. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: This time of the year, though, New England is. I I think there's no other place better, honestly. This yeah. This time of the year, moving into the fall, you're really not going to find any place that's you know where the weather is going to be better maybe san diego um (laughs) but you know it's just it's absolutely perfect up there in the white
1: Mountain stuff yeah one of these years i'll make it out there now how about uh how about you watching the royals last year in the world series and seeing them this year in first place i mean do you still follow mlb and was that kind of a, a you know a source of pride for you the last year
2: um
0: yeah it's definitely uh i don't watch like mlb like i used to with all the um uh, you know with like watching sports center and all that but i did watch i did watch uh, the Royals last year you know I knew a lot of those guys personally and um I pretty much know everybody in the, the infrastructure aspect of it you know strength coaches trainers um you know front office i know you know the turnover rate in the in that area isn't quite as great as it is with the players so you know it was it was it was fun to watch you know it kind of it does you know, kind of make me proud that, um, that once upon a time I was part of the rebuilding process that Dayton has, uh, Dayton and his re- regime have, um, you know, put in place. And, you know, I didn't make it through the gauntlet completely, but, you know, I was there for a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But so let's go back and learn about you from childhood, though, first. So you played for the late Warren Doan at Concord High School, like you mentioned earlier. You were obviously a great baseball player growing up. Was that always your number one sport and main sport growing up?
0: Yeah, I played, I lettered in four sports, actually, in high school, but I, um, it was my main sport, football was my second one, and then I just kind of played some other stuff on the side to, um, you know, stay in shape and stuff, but, yeah, baseball, baseball was my main love.
1: You guys play lacrosse out there, don't you?
0: Yeah, lacrosse has pretty much decimated baseball in this area. Oh, really? Yeah, it's. The, all the the community leagues are down to like one or two teams. A lot of the towns have had to join together.
2: Man, that killed kind,
0: us.
1: That kind of stinks. <laughs> Great sport, but it kind of stinks for baseball. Uh, yeah, it does. Were you a Red Sox fan growing up? Then, did you have a favorite player growing up too?
0: Ah, uh, my favorite player was not a Red Sox, but I was definitely uh, a Red Sox fan growing up. Being from New England, it's just it's kind of how it is. A lot of pride up here, you know. It's there's really no nothing else to cheer for. We don't have any like uh, college teams. You know, you go to Nebraska, everybody bleeds the red, and you know you go to some of those Midwest uh, states, and you know the state school is what you know everybody has pride. New England's a little different, you know. Um, New Hampshire, uh, other than Dartmouth College, doesn't even have a Division One program.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> so I mean, good luck getting into Dartmouth. <laughs> and <laughs> so, other than that, you know, who do we cheer for? BC. You know, I don't know. It's, you know, so it's so we got the Patriots, the Bruins, and the Red Sox, and the Celtics.
1: Who was your boy then? Your favorite player?
0: My favorite player growing up was Pudge Rodriguez.
1: Oh, good, good call there. Good choice. Can't it was,
0: go. I I loved watching him in his heyday. There was nobody better
1: yeah i love the way he controlled the running game back in the day too um so you went to uh as a freshman you went to uh, plymouth state university you hit 414 as a freshman what made you choose to play there for one year
0: well there's a little bit of a backstory um i pretty much in my life have done nothing um the normal way everything has kind of (laughs) gone backwards for me um so what happened was, was that coming out of high school, I my, my wife now, um, she was my girlfriend then, I got her pregnant, and I had a full scholarship to a junior college down right outside of Georgia. It was, it was uh, Gordon College, they were in the Peach Belt Conference, um, and I decided that I was going to come home and try to, you know, stick it out up north instead of down south, which For a baseball player, is isn't the best decision, but um, I came back up north and I enrolled in Plymouth, and the following year I transferred out to uh, UMass Lowell.
1: Yeah, you uh, were good there, too. 363, eight home runs, 50 RBIs, your junior season. You guys went to the D2 World Series as well. You were also second-team All-American. So what are your favorite memories of, you know, it's kind of a baseball powerhouse there for D2. What do you remember most about playing there?
0: Well, there was my the year I transferred in, there was two other transfers as well. There was one from DC and there was another one from UMass Amherst, and all three of us transferred in together. But till that point, UMass Lowell had made it to the regional finals 11 straight years. So when the three of us um, transferred in, we went to the World Series two years back to back. So you know, helping that program really get over the hump. And, um, you know, that was, that was some of my best memories.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Finally, after the 12th time was the charm, huh? Yep. That's cool. Now, after your junior season, then, you declare for the draft. Well, I guess you don't really declare in baseball, but you ended up getting drafted by the Royals. Uh, before we talk about that, was there a specific time that you remember the Royals first kind of looking at you or, or talking to you or you knew they were really interested in you?
0: Uh, yeah. They <clears throat> their scout had been at um every game. He was you know, he would talk to me and, you know, he, he was very personable and um he made it he made it pretty clear that he liked me. Um, I had like probably ten other teams some interest but he was the one that really kinda liked me a lot.
1: Well, you ended up getting picked in the ninth round then uh, of 0-2. Draft day itself, what sticks out? And then going into it, were you kind of expecting, I mean, the Royals would probably be the one that would take you?
0: Looking back on it, I didn't really anticipate the Royals um, to take me. I kind of just – there was like three or four teams that were in there. The Royals had given me the most attention, but I never really, you know, like said they were going to take me or anything like that. Um, but it was – 2002 was the first year that the draft was held over the internet. So it was kind of, uh, kind of different. You know, they first started the voice stuff and they had just gotten into the instant messenger type thing. So I was, uh, sitting at home just waiting for a phone call really, because my, my father had the internet. I didn't have the internet at that point in time, actually. Huh. And it's kind of weird. It's, it's in my lifetime that something actually like that happens. But, um, yeah, so my father got the information, and he called me right away. And then the Royals called right after.
1: Did you have a dial-up back then, too? <laughs> back in the day, I, It was. That's classic. Good thing nobody picked it up the was. phone. <laughs> or called you. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, so you signed with Casey then, obviously. You finished up 2002 in Spokane. You played uh, for Tom Poquette, and there were guys like Donnie Murphy on that team, Jonah Bayless, Zach Grinky. So what do you remember most about a very young Zach Grinky?
2: Well,
0: um, I was, you know, obviously I was a catcher, so I prided myself on um, being able to get through to, you know, all kinds of different personalities. That's kind of my personality that I don't really back down. Um, I'm not, like, in your face and rude, but, you know, like, if I got a pitcher I got to deal with, I don't really care if you sign for $1,000 or 2500000 million. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell you you're doing something wrong or right, you know? hmm And, you know, it's a lot, and you know how pro ball is. You know, you get a couple first-rounders, and, you know, people are intimidated. You know, you can't talk to them like everyone else, because if they complain about you, then, you know, if this guy eventually makes it, I'm a catcher, he's going to request not me to be the catcher. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But, Zach, as soon as I I heard who he was, and, uh, you know, I knew he was coming to town. I think he came in a couple days later than everyone else. First thing I did was go up to him and, you know, ask him, you know, like, you know, not go up to him, like, literally in the clubhouse, but, um, like, you know, we're sitting down in the bullpen, like, hey, what'd you, you know, what'd you get with your 2.5, you know, being a stupid kid? And he was like, oh, I bought a used Lincoln. <laughs> and the Typical Zach, though. He bought a used Lincoln. I, f- I forget what it was. It was some car. And I was like, you bought a used car, Zach? And, you know, at that point, I was kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, it's kind of weird. But as I got to know him a little more, you know it there was Zach was a very um down to earth person you know in regards to that he didn't want to waste his money on a new vehicle because he knew it would depreciate you know <laughs> so at a young age, Zach had a very good head on his
1: shoulders can okay. I'm assuming you could probably see the talent right away, you know the upside that was there
0: oh man he had he he was eighteen years old was like and he was locating four pitches i mean he was yeah, above and beyond anything we had on that staff at that point in time, even at 18 with, like, established college players.
1: Huh. Yeah, he's had quite the career. Now, what else besides, you know, besides that, your favorite memories is of Spokane. What else sticks out when you think back to those couple of months?
0: Well, the, my, one of my made the stories that I tell a lot was that our first, the also um, the Internet thing, that the 2002 draft class was the first year of Moneyball. Oh. So that draft class, going into it, that that was their year. The Swisher and Brown and all those kids. I can't even remember all their names. But So my first memory was we ended up, we were playing Vancouver, who was at the Athletics at that point in time for the first series. So I'm coming out of the clubhouse. And, you know, I'm at, like I said, New Hampshire, um, UMass Lowell. So I'm just, you know on cloud nine just to be there on the field with all these other kids that you know there's a lot of kids that they were there that expected to be there i didn't expect it you know i was different i worked hard but um you know so i come out of the clubhouse the first thing i see is nick swisher <laughs> he's got he's got tape from like head to toe he's taped up like looking the part long hair like everything that you could ever want in you know in a ball player and I'm like oh god this is going to be fun you know and you know yeah, you seen Nick play I don't even I don't even, like I don't even know if he's still in the majors honestly yeah he is um, yep but he's one of those guys that he likes to bring attention to himself and um, he definitely was intimidating to see the first guy walking out of the clubhouse
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, and
0: Zach actually thinking about thinking about that Zach Granke from you know they don't really like each other. Yeah, that he's always brushing him back.
1: I love Zach. So 2003, then that next year, uh, Burlington, Iowa playing for the bees, Midwest League, you threw out 38 and a half percent of base runners became kind of began uh, your move up as, you know, the defensive catcher in the Royal system. So, I mean, the Midwest League and Burlington, Iowa, what sticks out most about that?
0: That was uh, that was kind of a tough league. Um, you know, everybody's first season getting accustomed to things, um, you know, the routine, the monotony of the bus rides, you know, the grind of, you know, even if your arm is sore, you're not taking a day off, you know. So that year was really, you know, more of a, a getting used to what pro ball life was going to be like because I don't think Spokane really was, Um, a good example of that. You know, that long season in the Midwest League really uh, showed me what I was in for. Um, I struggled offensively. I had never really faced, uh, you know, 90-plus every single day. And, you know, that was an adjustment for me in that league offensively. Um, But defensively, I just um, I kind of knew what I was. I was always a good evaluator of, of what I could do well and I didn't try to do more than I could and I saw right away that I was better than everyone else defensively and I just really, really worked on it.
1: And I know uh, from reading the story too that those first couple of years were also very special because uh, your dad was able to stay with you and, and watch you catch quite a bit. You know, What did that mean to you back then and then what does that mean to you now?
0: Well, my, my father and I, growing up, we, we kind of had a rocky relationship. He was an alcoholic, um, and my mother left him certain when I was a young kid. And I had, once I had moved out of the house when I was a little older, our relationship got a lot better because, you know, it was just the way kind of sometimes relationships go with your parents. Um, so our relationship at that point in time was really good, and he was retired, so he would, every summer, like in Spokane, he came out for a month. Burlington, he rented a condo, and he came out for a month. Um, you know, and it was it was tough because he, he loved baseball. He would go to BP. He would he just he absolutely loved it, and he was so proud that he had a son that was drafted, and you know all that stuff. Because that's like I was saying in the beginning, it was it's rare to do what I did where I came from, and I'm not trying to like play it up, but we don't exactly have hotbed for baseball players up there.
1: That's cool. What, what a cool story that he was able to see it, too. Um, yeah. So oh four, 4 your prospect status kind of takes off then. So you hit an even three hundred in the very pitcher-friendly, as you know, Carolina League, where it's not easy to hit. And uh, so after that season, you're also named by Baseball America the best defensive catcher in the Royal System. You guys uh, won the second-half title. You moved uh, to the Carolina League playoffs and did that whole thing. So I'm assuming the time's in Wilmington. Good memories there?
0: Oh, yeah. Wilmington was a uh, – not only the baseball was good, um, and the, I really liked the Carolina League. You know, it's a good area of the country um, in the summertime. But the Wilmington Blue Rocks, they just – for a minor league team, they, they're they above them. They went above and beyond. You know, we always had good food in our clubhouse. Um, you know, they, they took very good care of us. And in some of those systems, you know, some of those stops aren't always the best for you. And you know they did a real good job of just not letting you have to worry about anything that you really didn't have to worry about. And it was a great team. Um, you know, Mike Avilas had come up. Uh, some of the '03 draft class had kind of been combined in that team. Um, Aviles, Shane Costa. Um, I think there's a couple more in there, but I'm missing them. Um, you know, so it was it was a good year, and I think that. Uh, I don't really know what happened. It's just something really clicked that year offensively, where I just kind of, you know, started hitting the ball better.
1: You, did you know, like the last game, you know, game or two of the season, you were right on the mark of hitting 300, and were you kind of stressing out about that there at the very end?
0: Ah, uh, there's actually a story about that. Um, <laughs> Micah Villas and I were both hitting 300 going into the last game. I didn't qualify for the league, which kind of irritated me a little bit um so i did i i had nothing really to lose i had hit i was hitting well the organization knew i was hitting well so i mean getting in the top 10 of hitting you know it was just kind of a feather in your cap as a player um you know it was it was it was all right
1: well, you got there. That's good. So, uh, yeah. so 2005, entire season at Wichita there and the good old you know, turf infield and grass outfield and you set career highs in games and bats runs. You went back there and repeated then again the first half of 06. So you're raking at 305 the first half of 06. They move you up to Omaha. Uh, you know, But as far as playing in the Texas League in Wichita, what sticks out?
0: It was hot. <laughs> that was a hot <laughs> league to play in. Um, it, it was you know, I think the first year in Wichita was, you know, they. I think coming up with um, Wilmington, you know, establishing myself as a better player. I think, you know, Double A was okay. We'll see if this kid can really do it. You know, so they kind of put they pushed me out there with, uh, you know, the games and all that stuff. And you know, if you play more, obviously you're gonna, you know, hopefully you score more and you get more hits. You know, so I think all that, all those statistics just coincided with me. Getting on the field a little more, um, I was a little disappointed that I went back the next year. Um, in all honesty, um, I think it, w- it was a tough choice. Um, coming out of that year, um, going into the 2005 year in Wichita, um, I had done, like you, like we just talked about. I did great offensively in um, Wilmington. Now that spring training, I had gotten my first major league invite. going into the Wichita. Now, I was, you know, it was actually an unofficial invite. It wasn't an official invite. So I'm unofficially there. I'm like one of the catchers. So the entire spring training goes by, and I'm the third catcher left. They had sent Phillips down, like everybody that was there, and I'm still there. So I'm like, I'm kind of stumped at this point. I'm like, I'm not on the roster. I'm unofficial. Why am I still up here? So I kind of, you know, asked the general manager, you know, I but at that point in time I didn't feel like I deserved to ask him. I didn't feel like I had the right yet, but I did anyways. And he was just like, you know, you've really impressed us, and you know, you're here, so just leave it at that. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and I got, and I, I didn't even get sent down. I went to, the, I went on the two games with uh, the team to the exhibition games, and this is straight out of A ball,
2: <laughs> and.
0: So Mike Sweeney at that point in time, he comes up to me and goes, I want to just let you know, Matt, that myself and Matt Stairs, we both have gone to the general manager who was Allard Baird at the time, and we want you to be the backup catcher this year. Wow. So, but I was competing with Alberto Castillo, who honestly, talent aside, really wasn't really wasn't that good of a guy yeah um <laughs> it was just i don't know he was just and apparently he rubbed the captain of the team wrong so you know and back when mike was the captain you're not going to meet a better person in the game of baseball than mike sweeney hands down you will not meet a better man than that guy so for mike to come and say that to me i, I mean that meant more than allard baird saying something to me you know i'm trying to earn the respect of you know, he had a five-year span where he was probably one of the best hitters in the game. Easily, yep. So, you know, that meant a real lot to me. You know, there's a lot of there's like things like that that no one will ever know. And being a ninth-rounder from New Hampshire, that means a lot because I'm not a first-round pick, so they don't communicate with you. First-rounders, they're telling you daily, oh, you know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. You know, if you're a ninth-rounder, they're like, okay, just hopefully he doesn't get injured so we have to pull somebody up. You know, it's. You know, you have to. You're an overachiever. They're waiting for you to fail, basically.
1: Very so good. This, this is why I love doing these conversations, man. Hearing these stories. That's great. That uh, spring training story. So then, so one thing that's pretty well publicized. Then that I wanted to ask you about is that you got into a couple arguments with Frank White while he was managing there in Wichita. I mean, what made you guys, you know, see not eye to eye? and Did you guys ever smooth things over eventually?
0: Yes, we did smooth things over. But for, I was a. Um, I guess you'd call a spark plug. So, you know, I was the kind of kit, the catcher that didn't take BS. You know, I, I, was, I, I was just a hard-nosed, just that's what I was. And sometimes, you know, Frank was, how do I say this politically correct? Frank was kind of an eye guy. Frank was kind of about himself. Frank was in AA trying to become a manager to get to the major leagues. I don't think Frank was there really. I don't think Frank cared about the kids. In all honesty, um, I, I, I and you know he would pick on he would pick at me, not on me, because I wouldn't let him pick on me. But he was he, it was like the color of your shirt, Matt. It's it's a weird color, green. I don't like it. <laughs> or you're wearing corduroy shorts, Matt. I don't like brown corduroy. Don't wear those shorts. And I'm like are you really doing this to me right now, Frank? (laughs) Like, like, are you really? And sometimes it got annoying where I'd give him a flip answer in front of people. And don't you do not want to show up Frank White because he is, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer for the Royals, and he'll let you know about it.
2: Right. Right.
1: Well, (laughs) that makes sense. And then, uh, so I wanted to ask you two other things about Wichita. So a young Billy Butler, what sticks out about him?
0: Billy was probably the best young hitter that I ever played with. Um, he was he was like Granky except offensively. Um, this kid was 18 years old in Double A, 19 years old. I mean, they were throwing him hard curveballs away. You know, after setting him up, throwing him in, and he would just hit it in the right center gap and just go with pitches like I'd never seen anything.
2: You know, he was
0: a very very smart hitter at a young age. Now, <laughs> you know personality wise he was kind of like you know dumb as a boxer rock, you yeah he kind of like <laughs> he really wasn't academically he was very very i think he had like a four oh in high school, but he was just kind of like one of those doty dope kind of guys, you <laughs> know, and I think that's why he was such a good hitter. he was just sea ball hit ball and he did it very well,
1: and then one other guy obviously who's Life, I'm assuming, went way different than we would have thought. Was Ampyorix Burgos? So I'm all this guy's kind of like a you know what? No one really talks about him. What was he like? Catching him and getting to know him.
0: Burgos was he wasn't a very good person.
1: <laughs> yeah, obviously, right?
0: <laughs> Honestly, he really um, he wasn't a good teammate. He had he had some killer stuff though. I mean, he was. He was just one of those kids that you hoped would figure it out. But, uh, I mean, he, you know, you hope that there's not, like, you know, obviously with so many different cultures, you know, you have some, I guess, some tension every once in a while. But, again, being from New England, like, I was raised that it doesn't matter what you are, you know. It's different in New England. So I didn't really care about anything. But sometimes, you know, Some of the young Latin players can kind of take things the wrong way. You know, things get lost in translation. They don't understand everything. Um, So sometimes they get offensive really quickly, defensive quickly, because of things like that. And I think he was – I don't think he understood the language that well. So sometimes he would get frustrated and he would lash out.
1: Well, I guess we saw that, you know, a lot worse than that later on. But, yeah. Um, So – 06 in Omaha, you finish it off there. So you and Paul Phillips are kind of, I guess, platooning there in 07. So you hit 281. You got on base. Real impressive there at Omaha, 361. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't ever give you a September call up there in 2007. But then you went to the Dominican that winter. You won the Caribbean World Series title. So, you know, what was that, you know, Dominican and Caribbean World Series title like?
0: Well, I went. The Dominican was a hard place to get into. I had, um, and it seemed to always happen to me, I was never like the forefront guy. So I got into the Dominican because Chris Iannetta actually b- broke his hand in batting practice or something in the World Series with, against the Red Sox when he played for the Rockies. So by Iannetta getting hurt, <clears throat> that allowed me to slip in there. And, you know, the, the Phillips was the Royals guy, so they obviously they weren't going to call me up over him. Um, because at that point in time, it, it, they were just doing the good old boys. You know, Philly. It didn't matter what Phillips did. Like he could hit 100, he could hit 400. He was going to the major leagues. Right. Um. At in September, that's just how they treated him. Now, you know, all this other stuff. You know, um, what was the question? We had? I totally forgot.
2: Just
1: about going to the Dominican, correct? You know, World Series. Oh or... yeah. So I went to the Dominican,
0: and I basically put myself on the map. I went down there, and, you know, I put myself on the map again. You know, every year you have to reprove yourself when you're a minor leaguer, and I hit. I finished fifth in the league hitting, like, 293 or something like that, and I'm a defensive catcher is the way they always worded me, but right. <laughs> could, could handle the bat pretty well, honestly. Um, and they saw that. So in my mind, they prote- they protected me. So... And and that was Dayton Moore that protected me. Allard had been gone. So I'm in the new regiment. I feel like like somebody caught wind that somebody was going to rule five me, so they protected me. I mean, they protected me over Mike Aviles, which Hmm. I don't get. I mean, how do you not protect Mike that year, which he didn't get taken, but, I mean, they protected me over a lot of guys that they probably shouldn't have. Means that I think they heard something behind the scenes. They protected me, and you know, the next year is it is what it is. So they, I mean, Phillips wasn't the guy, they had to take me.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that. So you're coming into 2008 then, uh, like you said, after a really good winter ball, you know, and you get protected, all that good stuff, and you played parts of six seasons in the Royals minor league system. You're 28 years old. So that 08 season, you were actually on the opening day roster because Miguel Olivo has the four-game suspension from a fight that happened the year before. Now, going into spring training that year, though, did you – Honestly believe, you know, after not getting a September call up the year before, that you had a chance to get that spot as back up there for a while opening day. Did you think it was really possible?
0: Um, like at that point in my career, I tried not to read into things. I really tried not to. Now, it was very surreal for me. I did not go into spring training thinking I was on that team. No chance. The Royals made it very clear that I was a player that would not and could not plan on that. And they they made it very, very clear. The way things had gone in the past, I wouldn't have been surprised if they brought in a third catcher and just kept me on the roster and then had that third catcher there and then did something else. You know, I I, I wouldn't have surprised me. Um, You know, like I said previously, I think my protection on the 40-man roster was more out of keeping depth in their minor league system than trying to benefit me. Right. It had nothing to do with me. It was all about them.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you end up making that opening day roster. Uh, any new, you know, any memories of how they told you, or I'm assuming you were on cloud nine. Where were you at? Who told you all that good stuff?
0: Well, we, I was in cloud nine. Um, but the thing like, you know, kind of the story of my career was, um, you know, Trey Hillman was in charge. Um, I don't know Trey, but when I had previously done an interview, they had um, the media had said that he was kind of weird. I didn't know the re- I didn't know his regime well enough to comment on things like that. But I do know that um, we went to Milwaukee for two exhibition games following that spring training. I was in right field, and Trey was just walking around. You know, just talking to all the players in the outfield doing the pregame stuff, and everything was fine. And, you know, he came in, and he didn't say anything to me. Nothing nothing was said. So I still don't know if I've made the team on the last day, and we're leaving to go to Detroit. So the how I found out basically was nobody called me into the office and sent me down, and I just kept getting on the bus until I was told to not to. <laughs>
1: They didn't even tell. Really? That's horrible. Well, Dayton
0: and Dayton and Dayton and them had 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 congratulated me um, behind the scenes, but no, Trey <laughs> never came to me and shook my hand, and that's that. That kind of gets me bitter because you know I really <clears throat> my whole life went into that, you know, and I know that they do their thing, and I know that you know they you know everyone has a story, and that's what we're doing right now, but. It would have meant a lot to me for the major league manager to come up and say, hey, kid, you've been, this is 28 years in the making. Congratulations, you achieved your lifetime goal. But no, he wants to stare me down and try to intimidate me.
1: What the heck? Were you there, by the way, during that famous, I think you must have been, during that famous, his first spring training game where he brought the team out in the field and sat you guys down in front of everybody like a little league coach and scolded you? Were you, were you part of that back in the day? Hillman's first year? No, I wasn't. Okay, I don't remember that. What do you do? Apparently, the old story was that I think I think it was his first year, first spring training game. I really think it was. It was it was that first year spring training, and the guys had played bad, so he made them come out on the field and like sit Indian style in a circle and like scolded them like they were high school kids in front of the crowd. <laughs> you you never heard about that? No. Huh. Interesting. That was. I think he lost a lot of uh, you know the veteran players at that point right away there before he even starting. Oh uh, yeah, you
0: can't do you. I mean that's the type of control the Japanese have. Yeah, you're yeah. not gonna you're not gonna control American players like that.
1: Yeah. So
0: well, they don't respond. They don't respond that way.
1: <laughs> so obviously, you don't get in the game that first time around. Then, so you're sent back to Omaha. But then, uh, May 16th, 2008. So John Buck's wife unexpectedly uh, prematurely gives birth, and he leaves the team. Obviously, so then the the Royals call you back up. So now, I'm assuming that time, Mike Jerschle probably gave you the news. And any any cool story with that?
0: Uh, we had just gone into Albuquerque, and Jersch called me into his office, and. Uh, <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, what did I, oops, sorry. No, oh, you're I said, good. <laughs> oh, what did I... I'm like, what did I do? You know, and he's like, up, oh, you're going up. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, pack your stuff and get out of here. And I was like, okay. And Jersey's is kind of dry. Um, so it, it, was, it was good, though, you know. Um, and then I went. And that time going up, though, I definitely expected to play at least once.
1: Yeah, well, so let's get to that pretty amazing story then. So you get up there for another three games, you know, uh, you know, you get in the very last second of that very final game. But the first two games you don't play. I know the third day you've got Grinky throwing, so you think you might be catching him. And then from how I understand it, the way you got into a game, it's May 18th of 2008. Tell us the story. So it involves Miguel Olivo and Jose Guillen, right?
0: Yep. Um, I had... I think we've talked about the Dominican. I had previously played with um, Jose Guillen in the Dominican on that. I was on his team. So I'd kind of gotten to know him pretty well. You know, I'd, I'd read about his contract. And, um, you know, I used to give him all kinds of crap about the money he was making, too. <laughs> and he would, ball, he would hit a ball and be like, hey, kid, that's why they pay me the big money. <laughs> so it was kind of funny about it. So I was like, all right, you know. So we're coming in there, and, uh, you know, I went from beginning to end in the Dominican. Now, as a as a, an American white dude going down there, you earn the respect of them, you know, because I went down there, and it's hard for Americans to play down there. You know, the food's different. Things are just not as easy. And so I, I, I legged it out. Um, and Jose, at this point in time, knew, was like, you know, this kid is, you know, you're got to give him a chance. You know, it's the right thing to do. It's what we would do as baseball players. 150 years of the game, this is what you should do. But, obviously, Trey tried to reinvent the wheel at some points, I guess, and um, didn't want to do that. So Jose Guillen goes to Miguel and says, Listen, you're going to tell the skipper that you are heat stroke, and you're going to pull yourself out of the game. And that's what they did.
1: And you get he went the, to the coach and said that. Yeah, and you pinch hit for I think it was Jimmy Gobble against Kevin Gregg, and you and your end your career one for one, batting a thousand. What do you remember about that moment? You know, walking up there to the plate and all that stuff.
0: Well, when they finally said that you're in, you know, I walked up in the old Miami Stadium, and there was really no like designated on deck circle because the, the way the field was structured, it was kind of weird. And um so I was up there and I was like, Where's the on deck circle? I, I, I had no I was like hyperventilating. I had no idea where anything was. So I finally I just rush up to the box and I'm like, Hey, can I get a second? This is my first at bat ever. The umpire looks at me like, Really? Get in the box. And I was like, Okay. So I get in the box and, you know, he threw me a two seamer away and then he threw me this hanging split and I mean I, I was in that box to swing. I was either going down swing. Or I was coming away with a with a hit. There was no way I was walking, there's no way I was taking pictures. I was up there to to get a hit. I knew it was the only time that I was gonna be able to get myself in the record.
1: Yeah, and one for one you hit the ball in the right field. Hit it pretty hard too, if I remember right. Uh and you got to keep you got to keep the ball and everything and the bat and everything. Oh too? yeah, I
0: got all I got all the stuff and uh Mike Barnett wrote on the ball for me and all that stuff.
1: Oh cool. Now here's another question. If somebody would have told you that afternoon that you would never again appear in a major league game. You know, would you have called him crazy, or would you have believed that at that point?
0: Uh, I don't know. It was, it was tough to say. You know, I was on top of the world. I would have said that day, I would have said, no, I'll be back. But later in the year, I don't know really what happened, but one of the catchers got injured. I forget who it was or it might have been Miguel getting suspended again, honestly.
1: Yeah, that um, sounds right. That sounds right.
0: It might have been him suspended again. Where they what they did was is they made Mitch Meyer the backup catcher. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't recall me for the third time that year or the second time. They made Mitch the backup catcher. And again, I didn't re- I never read the media because I was a player that. You know what? I didn't really the media really either didn't talk about me or when they did I didn't really like to hear the realistic breakdown of me. You know, I don't want to hear that you're, you know, you're not a, you know, a history player because you don't drive in enough runs. You know, I was a a team player, a role player, and I knew what I was, and I don't need to read about that stuff, you know. And um they someone had informed me that uh Mitch was the backup catcher. I don't know if it was to try and fire me up or what the reason was, but they said, hey, they named Mitch the backup catcher in the Major Leagues. And I was like, all right, well, that's the writing on the wall then. God. If it's not, then I don't know what is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you mentioned the whole media thing. Don't you hate, as a catcher, I always wonder, don't you, do you hate the, the term catch-and-throw guy? The catch, catchers hate that, like the backup catchers in the Major Leagues, when somebody says, well, he can't hit much, but he's a great catch-and-throw guy. Is that an insult to you guys, or is that something that you're okay with?
2: Yeah, it's just
0: a term that the people want to use. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, you're always it makes you want to work a little harder on your offense to prove those uh, catch and throw people wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also feel like that's kind of like not the best thing to say, but um, so well, you know, it's a
0: backup catcher. No one cares about you. Like, yeah. You're not even like think about. I mean, can you even name? Ten backup catchers in the big leagues right now.
1: Well, I probably could, but most people, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) not not too many people could. That's a good point. Even their own fan base usually doesn't know. You know, half the time.
2: Yeah,
0: they they have no idea. It's a rotating door. It's like the backup catcher is you're friends with somebody, or you know somebody, or something along the lines, or you're just they. It's all about. It's more about likability, in my opinion, than it is about performance. Because it's a position that they don't need performance out of. They need you to, you know, stop the bleeding if someone gets injured. They need you to warm up the pitchers. You're not there to do anything really for the team other than to help them get ready. It's almost like Rudy. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: that's true. That's a great, great analogy. So. Going back to Miami, the next day you guys travel to Boston and Fenway Park. Uh, now you, you had some family, I guess, in town as a story, and you ended up, you know, watching the John Lester no hitter that night against the Royals. That was a, the day after your big league hit was the Lester night. Uh, but you, you know, I think Buck came back or whatever, and you ended up watching that in the in the player section, right?
0: Yeah, I. Um, it was a it was it was kind of a tough pill to swallow to be up in the stands watching the game. You know, I, I mean the the travel secretary came in and handed me four tickets and was like, all right, see you later. I'm like, what is this for? And he's like, you're in the stands. I'm like, "Uh, okay, I guess, whatever. You know, I'm not going to talk back, you know. So I went up in the stands, and um, that's where where it all happened. But, you know, the reason that I um, didn't really care too much was that I had gone into Trey Hillman the day before when we were in Miami before the game had been played. And I said, look, you know, I'm from New England, um, right 50 miles north of Boston. I said, if you've ever been to New England, he's from Texas, so I don't even know if he can even get this. You know, I was like, if you could play in Fenway and wear a uniform on that field, I said, you have no idea what it would be like for a child from that area. And I said, "Is there any way that I can get, if I can go to Fenway one time. And... You know, Dayton, obviously, nothing goes, nothing happens without Dayton okaying it. So, obviously, Trey had cared enough to run that by him, and um, they allowed me to travel to Boston to see my family and to, um, you know, just uh, to, to experience Fenway Park. Um, you know, being one of the oldest ballparks in the majors currently, um, it's just... It's an incredible feeling being from – the. I mean, I I guess you can – You know, if you're from Kansas City and you get on the Kansas City field, I get it. But Fenway's Fenway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. By the way, you got to accomplish two of my life goals in back-to-back days I never got to do. You got to play in the major leagues and get a hit, and you've seen a no-hitter. I've never seen a no-hitter in my life in person. Was that kind of cool, seeing that? I mean, what was that like?
0: I almost feel like I was meant to – I was there to break it up you know, then, (laughs) you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, things could have been different. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the baseball gods. Now, that's just like a term that us baseball players use. Um, you know, obviously it it is what it is and there probably is no baseball gods, but (laughs) it's just a simple way of saying, if you do things the right way and you do things the way it should be done, you will be rewarded. Like getting down a sack bunt. On a certain time, your next at bat, you'll be rewarded with a base hit. You know what I mean? I do. I think actually, sometimes you know, I think sometimes it was, you know, karma for Trey. I think Trey, you know, you didn't do things the right way, man. You didn't treat people the right way. You know, these are grown men with families. You know, and I, I, I know there's a turnover rate, but you still, I think those people they can't underestimate what they do to a man when you treat them a certain way.
2: Yeah. I,
1: I, by the way, I totally am with you on the whole baseball, guys. I always believe in something evening out. You smoke a ball at somebody, you'll get a little bleeder, broken bat hit. You know, It doesn't seem like it evens oh, yeah. out. Uh,
0: it does. It does. That's why you play every day for 162 days. It, it'll even out.
2: Yeah,
1: totally agree. So you resigned going into 'oh nine with the Royals. First three months in Omaha. Uh, before we talk about your release there, you know, as far as playing at Rosenblatt Stadium, I think that was the last year of it too. You know, what was it like? Obviously, the you know it was an old school park, but I'm assuming some special memories there, and you enjoyed it a little bit.
0: Yeah, I loved. I, I loved playing at Rosenblatt. Um, you know, the only drawback was it was really. Even the nights when we had fans, it still looked like we had no fans. Yeah, that place seated like forty thousand. Yeah, <laughs> so it was huge. But it, it, I mean, I Omaha really grew on me. You know, it was a very—it's kind of a, a a nice little town that you know at first you're like, oh, Omaha, you know. But really, it really did grow on me.
1: Yeah, how'd you like the uh, how'd you like the uh, what two and a half week you know road trips there doing their College World Series?
0: Yeah, I called that the season killer. <laughs> I mean, I, every year it was—it just—it was a tough trip. It was a tough road trip for everyone.
1: Yeah. yeah. So now, how I get it is June 21st of '09. You basically asked for your release from the Royals. I mean, what made you on that random day decide that that was it?
0: Well, like everything else, there's a story. Um, and what had happened was, and I, I kind of regret this. Um, what had happened was we were in we were on that trip, a long trip. The first leg of the trip was New Orleans. So we're in New Orleans and um, we had a day game we had a night a day game after a night game and I played in both of them. I don't know if the I, I, I assume it was the air conditioning in the room in New Orleans, just because of the humidity down there. Um, I got sick. I was sick. I, I really felt awful. Um, I tried to suck it up, like because I started playing again, and I was the kind of guy that if I take myself out of the lineup, it, it's just like they're like, "God, this kid can't do it." You know, they ask a lot of questions. So I was pounding Quill and Quill I was just trying to get myself ready to go for that day. I couldn't do it. I could, I, I just couldn't get up. I, I was, I felt like crap. I, I, I mean, I was down and out. So I go to the trainer, and I'm like, okay, you know, and I, I, I went to Jersh, and I was like, Jersh, I'm, I'm, I can't feel it. And he's he already written his lineup out.
2: He loses it. He
0: rips the lineup down from the wall like in a
2: furious,
0: just rant and rage, rips the lineup up and just starts swearing at me in front of everybody. And I'm like, Jersh, I can't, like, I'm, I'm on my deathbed here, man. Like, can you cut me some slack? And it was no. He went off. So then, I kind of got fired up, and I let it go. But the next day, Brian Buchanan. Okay, and I still, I actually still went out to the bullpen and stayed the entire game. Didn't go home. Didn't go back to the hotel and rest like he usually does for guys. So the next day, Brian Buchanan, who um, has connections in the organization, he played with, he played with J.J. Piccolo. Um, in the Yankee system, so they're all connected, and he's sick. He's got the same thing that I had. What does he do? He goes into the trainer's office. They say, hey, Brian, go home. Go rest at the hotel. That's when I lost it.
2: Huh. I said,
0: I, I lost it. I went through the roof. I was like, you know what? I said, this is, this is crazy. I said, I bust my ass every day for this organization. And you know what? The one thing, maybe my mouth got me in trouble occasionally, but nobody in that organization can question my work ethic. I was the first one there. I was the last one to leave. I never showed up for spring training out of shape. I did my job, and I did it well. And I just never got really rewarded for it. And I think all the pills and stuff that I was on, like the the NyQuil and day I mean, they tell you not to make major financial decisions. You know what I mean on that, and that stuff? And... I lost my mind. I, I just I felt like I was being treated badly, poorly, and um, I said, you know what, I think it's just time for me to go. And uh, they agreed, and they, gave, they granted me my release. And,
2: um, you know, I,
0: I actually liked Jerish. I, I don't really know what happened. Um, I just – but I'll tell you one thing. For the first year, I was at a ball. There's not a morning I didn't wake up thinking about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
0: you know, I, I I hope someday I run into church and get to apologize to him. But you know, I don't really think that he would even care to
1: even hear my apology. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's a wow. That that's frustrating, man, hearing that story and knowing that. Um...
0: But like I said, everything in my life, nothing has gone the way it should or it's normal. Right. Everything right. happens to me like.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, one, one other, th- so only one more negative here. So, 09, then obviously I, I, I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask you about. So, Dominican Republic, this time the memories aren't quite as good obviously as the first time. Um, you know, I understand the Mets had offered you a contract, but then you got that 50-game suspension, I guess, from, from marijuana and they rescinded that You know, that offer. So, I mean, how frustrating and how frustrated were you at that point?
0: Well, I uh I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that goes on, and, you know, I was in the Dominican, and, you know, I, I did some stuff that I, I shouldn't have done. Um, it was my second time, actually. The first time was in 2005, when the new agreement had been done up, and I had cleaned up my act for the entire thing, and, um, you know, sometimes I would partake in the off season, and uh, they showed up to the Dominican, but... The Dominican is totally different, and now that I'm done, this now that I'm done and everything, I can kind of divulge these stories. Yeah, yeah. My clubhouse, my clubhouse manager in the Dominican actually came to the hotel and told me that they were there. So I had like, you know, I knew I knew that they were there looking for me. So I kind of tried to hesitate. I knew I knew I was going to get banged, and so it's just, I guess, honesty is the best policy. You know, I, I did it, and I served my uh, I served my debt to society, if you will. Um, but it, it was I it was a way to weed me out. Um, I mean, there's guys on the royal system right now that have served suspensions for numerous things. Now, that's it is what it is. If you're a good enough player, you know they can overlook that, right? Right. You know, if you're not. What you've done is you've your, you've helped cut, you've helped cut yourself basically, and that's what I did, and I understand that. And um, was it frustrating? Yeah, it, it was real frustrating. I mean, I did really well in the Dominican again. Um, you know, I'm battle, I'm battling it out against Brian Pena, who was basically the demise of my career.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> I've heard that more than and,
0: once. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he's another likable guy. You know, he. he He's just, you know, he's a solid backup guy. He really is. I and it's not him. If it wasn't him, it would have been someone else. So it's nothing personal. Um, but you know, it's just it, it's it's the way it is. But you know, it's frustrating when I'm in the Dominican and I'm battling it out, doing just as well as these people. Yet I go home and they view him as a major leaguer and they view me as a backup minor leaguer. It's just infuriating, actually.
2: Yeah, I mean. I,
0: if you, if you, I mean, if you know the background, he signed for a million dollars by Dayton when Dayton was the international scout for the Braves. So I mean, Dayton basically rescued this kid from the Atlantic Ocean, and I mean that's how he got over. Um, he defected, and you know how can you not have? How can you not have a? Um, a connection to him, though, you know what I mean. I'm not faulting either of them. I'm just stating the situation. That's right. what it was, you know. And if you're a guy and you've done that for a kid, and he's coming from Cuba, I mean, how can you not be attached to him? You know what I
1: mean? It's human nature. Yeah, I mean, how uh, it seems like from you, you do have quite a bit of respect for Dayton, though. How did you like Dayton? I mean, getting to know him, or did you guys have an was, okay? He
0: was, am- I mean, Dayton, amazing. Yeah, up end up guy never, never did anything. You know, Dayton is the one that, essentially, Dayton is the one that made me a major leaguer. You know, obviously you as players were like, yeah, we did it ourselves and this and that, but I was in a position where I needed Dayton to say, okay, go ahead, kid. You know, I wasn't, it's just, you know, like we talked about, it was hard for me to get my foot in the door. And Dayton did that for me. I mean, Dayton put me in the
2: record books.
1: Yeah. And then, well, one other question then about playing is 2011. You come back uh, Atlantic League with uh, Lancaster there. I mean, Did you have any fun that summer, and what made you decide to go back and play in 11?
0: Well, I wasn't done playing. I, I consider myself a free agent through all that BS that was going on. Yeah. Um, I served my 50-game suspension at the end of the season. If you're not on a roster, you can't serve your suspension. So you have to be on an active roster. So basically, technically... At the end of that season, I still had 50 games to serve. What I did was is I went to the commissioner's office, and I said, look, I sat out 142 games, not 50. I couldn't get a job. Like, don't you think that's punishable enough? And they, they agreed. They said, okay, we're going to grant you, you know, your re- you're your done. So you've served your suspension. And I was like, great. So now the, the black mark's off my back. So let's try and go. And, um, you know, it was midseason, so I wasn't going to get picked up by an actual organization. Um, so I started making all kinds of calls to my friends. My agent wanted nothing to do with me and you know how that all stuff goes. I mean, he wouldn't even help me get into the Atlantic league. He was doing nothing for me. So I was like, okay. So I called Matt, Wright. You know who that is?
2: Pitcher,
1: pitch for the Royals and Braves systems. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I called Matt, Wright, And he was on the, he was in Lancaster. So he actually talked to everybody for me and Matt got me on the team. And, you know, Jonah Bayless was on the team. Um, there's a couple other guys. The league was actually, the Atlantic League was actually a good time. It was, um, and Angel Barreau was in that league that year. Um, a lot of scouts had said that the Atlantic League was basically a triple-A holding tank. You know, everybody was, a lot of players were triple-A level. Oh, yeah. it was actually I was very impressed by the level of ball. But, on the flip side of that coin, you can definitely see where, um, why people aren't in organized ball? Like they just have, they usually have like one thing that's kind of glaring. And it was, uh, but it was a fun league. It really, it really was. It kind of, it got me back into it after sit, sitting out a year. And then you know, I just started petitioning, petitioning all, the, or not petitioning, but um, contacting all my other teams. You know, all the, everybody that I'd known. You know, because you know, baseball's a good old boys game. Oh yeah. So you, you get a guy like me. Uh, the only way I'm getting in is. If I know somebody, I'm not getting in on, you know, talent at this, at this point, at this stage in the game, you know, so I just, who do I know? Call them and, you know, just crickets was really, um, was it, because my, my, really, my only choices were the Royals who I did call to see if they would help me. And I just explained to them, I said, look, you know, I, I have to call you because I have to. And they said, no, I said, okay, I expected that, but I had to do it just so I knew and um, the Red Sox. I went back to Allard Baird, and I tried to get him to pick me up, and he wanted nothing to do with me.
1: Yikes. So that was the end then at that point, huh?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I could have played for four teams in the Atlantic League, $2,000 a month. (laughs) And I was like, uh, you know, I get a pretty good gig going now with the the baseball and the, the training and stuff like that. So I was like for two grand, like, it's time to move on. Yeah. You know, I I didn't want to be and I swore to myself I wasn't gonna be that guy. I don't wanna be forty or I didn't really wanna be thirty six in double A. You know. There's guys out there that are still doing that, you know. I ran into one of my guys last year, Corey Aldridge.
1: Yeah, of course, yeah.
0: Yeah, Corey's thirty six in double A.
1: He's still playing? I didn't even know he was still playing.
0: He played last year in Manchester, New Hampshire for Toronto.
1: Oh, for the Fisher Cats, right? Is that the yeah?
0: He played for the Fisher Cats, and I went to a game, and I saw him, and I was like, "Damn, you're still playing?" <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I I, I don't know. You got to be willing to do a certain thing, you know.
1: What is a Fisher Cat, by the way? What does that even mean?
0: A Fisher Cat?
1: Yeah, is that a real cat? Like a Fisher? What? What's... Yeah,
0: oh yeah, oh yeah. Those things will tear, tear you to shreds. Oh,
1: is that a New Hampshire they, thing?
0: Um, it's kind of like a bobcat. Oh, okay. But it's a little smaller and, and like, slimmer, and it um, basically hunts along the rivers and stuff.
1: Huh. I guess we don't have those out here. We just have boring animals. <laughs> well, last, uh, last, like, four questions for you here, and thanks so much for our time, by the way. Uh, I mean, when you look back, so looking back to your times with the Royal System, I mean, what do you remember most? What are your favorite memories when you just kind of think back to, you know, reminisce right now?
0: <sighs> you know, it, it was probably the you know, all the teammates, you know, Mitch, Mitch Meyer, Alex Gordon, you know, Donnie Murphy, um, you know, the camaraderie and the friendships that I, that I had built up over the years, you know, just the, the traveling on the road together and, um, the renting of a house, you know, we, every, every year we used to rent houses, um, together, you know, we'd have four guys in a house and everyone started getting married and the wives were like, "Now nah, we're not living with them. So, <laughs> you know, that's just, that's one of those stories. But, um, it was just the, the team camaraderie, you know, and you see it a lot right now with the Royals. If you watch them play, I mean, those guys look like they're having fun. Hosmer, Moose, um,
2: Gordon,
0: you know, I don't know a ton of them. Hochever, um, you know, a lot of those guys. And I mean, look at Perez. I mean, does anybody look like they're having more fun than Salvi?
2: No, no.
0: I know that kid. I mean, he's ha- they're having a great time. And that's what I remember about that. You know, it was, it, that's what they wanted. They wanted you to be friends. They wanted you to do things together because there's a lot to be said for that type of um, philosophy over the just free agent, Yankee type of philosophy where we're just going to take the next best player, next best free agent, and whether he's good, bad, or indifferent, we're just going to plug him into the hole. Right. You know, th- <laughs> that works sometimes, but. You know, baseball is one of those games where time and, and meshing together, that means a lot.
1: Yeah, uh, I like it. You know, I, I like Red Sox. I've always liked the Red Sox a lot, especially because you guys hate the Yankees too. So, you know, the Royals <laughs> and Red Sox fans have a lot in common, I think. Suffering, you know. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a Leo, yeah. uh, you know, have you been back to Kansas City ever, by the way, since you left here, ever?
0: I have not been back to
1: Kansas City, no. Well, one of these days we'll have to. Get you back here, and then do you do you keep in touch with any of your old you know former teammates that you played with with the Royals anymore?
0: Uh, I will. You know, Gordon, his wife. I was close with uh, with Jamie, his wife. Um, not me you know the families were. We we lived together, so they they knew my kids. I actually haven't met his kids, but um, you know they send me a Christmas card. Butler, I talked to Butler once in a blue moon, um, but the main guys that I really talked to still would probably be. Uh, Shane Costa, Micah Velez, and Mitch Meyer.
1: Yeah, what what a by the yeah. way, what, what a tragedy with the daughter, man! Talk about sad, right? Oh my God, yeah, my heart goes out to him. That's He's,
0: um, it's a it's a it's like one of those things you don't even really want to talk about. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you know, what do you say?
2: Yeah, you, you know,
1: well, yeah, because it's not fair. You know, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, and you know, and you never want to talk about your own family like that, you know, guy you know, it's just it's just one of those things. And Mike is a Mike's an emotional guy. He um he gets into it and you know, he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve sometimes, so really really heart goes out to them.
1: Yeah, he was a he was a hell of a guy. And actually, uh, Jamie actually went to my high school, so I know Jamie really well. Also, Jamie now. Jamie Alex. Gordon? Yeah, I grew, I, went, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. So she went to my high school East, and then Alex went to the rival high school Southeast. So I I saw I played against Gordo's older brother Eric when I was in high school, and then I saw Alex play. I think he was playing Legion Ball as a freshman, so it was kind of.
0: Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, He's a stud. Um, yeah. So there was a bunch of. He, I, I met a bunch of Jamie's friends too. Yeah. Um, Page and Amy. Oh, and Amy! Them, huh?
1: Yeah, Amy's one of my good friends. I'm going to a game with Amy next week. Small, small world. Are you man. really? Yeah, that's a small. I know
0: Amy very well. Tell her
1: I said hello. I will. I'll have to. I'll she have lives
0: to... in Omaha,
1: right? No, she's back here now. Yeah, she was, but now oh, she's she, back here. She... Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. What are the what are the odds of that? Well, anyway, I guess get back on track. Last thing for you, I guess, is you know, in summary, what would you like to say to all the Royals fans listening right now?
0: You know, you guys say you guys got a great squad and. This Year in the all star game, you guys proved that um, Kansas City is ready to support a championship caliber team. Go Royals!
1: Yeah, let's do it, man. And seriously, thanks a lot for all your time. And you know, I can distinctly remember sitting out there at Rosenblatt for a couple of years and watching you and uh, you know, seeing the game on TV when you got the base head. I remember being excited after you know, reading about you and following you for all those years. So it's, it's cool to see you doing well, man, getting back on your feet. And, and thanks for all that you gave to the organization. Hopefully, we'll see you back out here one of these years and definitely stay in touch.
0: Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for not forgetting about me.
1: Of course. Never will, man. Never will. Take care, man.
0: Thank you very much. Bye-bye.